Welcome to Mature in Every Way, a study of James. I'm Renee Adelsberger. We're going to walk through this book verse by verse. For more from me, visit pedestriangod.com. Let's get started. So who is this man James anyways? We looked at four different men named James in our homework. The first was James, the father of Judas from Luke 6.16. His son was one of the 12 disciples, so we can imagine that when his son came home, he had quite the stories to tell his dad about what Jesus had done. Then there's James, the son of Alphaeus from Mark 3.18. He was one of the 12 disciples who followed Jesus during his earthly ministry. So there's a good argument that he could be the author. After all, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all went on to write a gospel that was included in our Bibles. We're also told about James, the son of Zebedee and brother of John in Acts 12 too. In this passage, King Herod executed James. His early death as a martyr occurred before the book of James was written, so we can rule him out as the author. Finally, there's James, the brother of Jesus. I already told you in the homework that this is the James most scholars believe wrote the book of James. During Jesus' earthly ministry, it doesn't seem as though James believed that his brother was truly the Messiah. I can't blame him for his hesitation to believe. Like all the Jews, James knew that the Old Testament prophesied that a Messiah would come. He would save people from their sins, but James didn't have the luxury of owning the Old and New Testament. At the most, he might have had the Old Testament. Even then, he probably didn't own a copy in his house like we do. So when waiting and watching for the Messiah, who would have started by looking at their own siblings? John 7, 2-10 shows the unbelief that Jesus' family had. It seems as though James became a believer toward the end of Jesus' life, or perhaps after his resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15.7 tells us that the risen Jesus appeared to James. Acts 1.14 would lead me to believe that Jesus' entire family came to understand the truth. It says that just after the risen Jesus was taken into heaven in front of their very eyes, his family, friends, and other believers were united in prayer. James became a leader in the church. The early church accepted him as the author of this book, which is strong evidence to me that we too can trust that James, the brother of Jesus, is the very same James who penned the book of James. You read Acts 15, 12 through 21 in your homework this week. It's part of an event we refer to as the Jerusalem Council. At the beginning of Acts 15, we're told that men came down from Judea and began to teach believers that you have to be circumcised according to Moses' law in order to be saved. Paul, Barnabas, and some other believers were appointed by the church to come debate these men. During this debate, Peter stands up and says that God makes no distinction between men who are circumcised and men who are not. Rather, he cleanses hearts by faith. In verse 11, he says, We believe that we Jews are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way the Gentiles are. After hearing Paul and Barnabas describe the signs and wonders that God had been doing through them among the Gentiles, James stands up and speaks. 
in verse 20, he suggests that they write to the Gentiles who are turning to God and tell them to abstain from items polluted by idols, sexual immorality, and the like. James's suggestion is what ultimately is put into place. Acts 15, 22-29 is the letter that the apostles and elders sent to the churches so that they could hear their final judgment on the matter of salvation for the Gentiles. James supports that salvation comes through faith in Christ through the grace of God. We receive very few other references to James. The church historian Eusebius recorded the tradition that James spent so much time on his knees that they looked like those of a camel. That is, his, need, his knees were worn from kneeling in prayer. The Apostle Paul briefly mentions that James, Peter, and John are recognized as pillars, and they acknowledge the grace that God had given him. They even gave him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised in Galatians 2.9. Paul continues in verse 10 to say, They asked only that we would remember the poor. Remembering the poor is one of the topics that James will address in his letter. We'll cover that topic later. For now, let's look at the 12 tribes of Israel for a few minutes. When Jacob, known as Israel, was on his deathbed, he called all 12 sons around him and blessed each one with a, quote, suitable blessing. You can read it for yourself in Genesis chapter 49. So here's my rabbit trail. Since we all can trace ourselves back to Adam and Eve, then it would be a logical conclusion to say that we can also trace ourselves back to one of the 12 tribes of Israel. So sometimes I wonder, which of the 12 tribes am I from? I definitely don't want to be a part of Simeon or Levi. In verses 6 through 7 in Genesis chapter 49, they say that they kill men in anger, and on a whim, they hamstring oxen. Zebulun wouldn't be too bad. He lives by the seashore as a harbor for ships. That sounds peaceful, but not Issachar. He became a forced laborer. Benjamin is told he's a wolf that tears his prey and divides his plunder. Which of these tribes does my family tree go back to? I haven't the slightest idea. I guess that's where my rabbit trail ends. But all throughout the Old Testament, people were obsessed with their tribal heritage. All those genealogies that you and I grow tired of reading are tracing the tribes through the generations. Because it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. When the Gospel of Luke traces the genealogy of Jesus, Luke 3.33 shows that he comes from Judah, son of Jacob, son of Isaac, son of Abraham. Hebrews 7.14 confirms that our Lord came from Judah. And all the way in Revelation 5.5, one of the elders says, Do not weep. Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Paul, who we just saw in the Jerusalem Council, believes that salvation comes through faith. In Philippians 3, he emphasizes again that circumcision alone does not save anyone. He says in verse 4 through 6, If anyone thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh for salvation, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, 
regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Paul had a perfect record. He had the right family tree and tribe. His type A personality kept him obeying every law possible. But his family tree didn't save him. Just a few sentences later, in verses 8 through 9, he says, Because of Christ Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. We too must have a salvation based on faith in Christ and not our own good deeds. James, Paul, and these other Christian leaders could most likely trace their family tree back to one of the twelve tribes of Israel. Yet James says that they have been dispersed abroad. Dispersed is not a word we use often today. That's why I had you begin researching it during your homework. It means to distribute or spread over a wide area. A good synonym is scattered. So why have these believers been scattered? And why does James bring it up? It could refer to the Jews who believe Jesus is the Messiah. Before the Apostle Paul put his faith in Christ, he tried to extinguish the church. Those who were living in Jerusalem fled the city due largely to Paul's persecution. Acts 8, 1-3 tells us, Saul, later known as the Apostle Paul, agreed with putting Stephen to death. On that day, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men buried Stephen and mourned deeply over him. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. No wonder believers were physically scattering. If I found out that our mayor in Jackson, Tennessee, was kicking down the doors of every house and imprisoning believers, I would flee too. The word dispersion appears at the beginning of Peter's letter also. 1 Peter 1.1 states, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, There was truly a physical scattering that happened at the time, but I believe there was also a spiritual scattering. We already read these words from James, but let's look at it again in light of this conversation of the dispersion. During the Jerusalem council meeting recorded in Acts 15, we read a quote from James. He was quoting Amos 9, 11-12. This passage states, In that day, I will restore the fallen shelter of David. I will repair its gaps, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old. James understood the work of Jesus to be one that restored Israel. With this healing work, Jesus eliminated the distinction between Jew and non-Jew. The tribe from which you came lost importance. The recipients of his letter are now those who have embraced Jesus' message. Let's compare this to other letters in the New Testament, because James is unusual in how he addresses his letter. For example, James says that his letter is to the twelve tribes dispersed abroad. During your homework, you looked at how other New Testament letters were addressed. For example, Titus was to Titus, my true son in our common faith, and it was written by Paul. 
When reading the New Testament, it's important to remember who the original audience was. When Paul brings up different situations, we have to remember that oftentimes he was addressing a specific person in a very specific situation. He's not always teaching to every believer in every location, though we can learn much from specific examples. James, however, is not for a specific church or person, but a general exhortation addressed to Christians in a variety of locations and circumstances. Even though we read in Galatians that Paul and Barnabas agreed to preach to the Gentiles and James and the other elders would focus on the Jews, there's nothing inherently Jewish about his letter. It applies to every believer from every walk of life, even to us today. We are all the scattered ones. Acts 8.4, after the persecution description, says, So those who were scattered went on their way preaching the word. We are all scattered from the original home place of Jesus. We are scattered in our own communities, states, and nations. We all live outside the holy city of Jerusalem and will one day be brought back together in heaven. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to study the book of James. I ask that you would speak to each of us individually as we continue to study so that we will be more like you each day. Help us to live faithful lives that bring honor to you, even as we live scattered across the globe. We love you. Amen.